What's up, Trace? How's everybody doing? Good. Good to see you guys. I hope you guys had a good 4th of July. Um, if you guys are new here, uh, we just want to say welcome. We're glad that you decided to be here. Maybe this is your first time, or maybe you've been away from church for a little while, or maybe, honestly, Christians have just left a bad taste in your mouth. If that's you, first, I just want to say I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry that we've had, maybe, that you might have had a bad experience, but we're super excited that you're here today. And I would love to get to meet you, get, love to get to know you. Uh, my name is Josiah Weiss. I have the opportunity uh, to be one of the pastors here. But we've been in this series titled GLOW, and I promise that's not bad spelling. Uh, it's an acronym. Uh, it stands for the gospel lived out. And here at Trace, we believe uh, that following Jesus, uh, coming to church, it's not a spectator sport. Uh, like you can't follow Jesus and sit on the bench. That's just not possible. We're on a mission here at Trace to leave a trace of God's love everywhere that we go. Leave a trace of God's love everywhere that we go. We want to live out the gospel everywhere we go so that we can touch as many people as possible for Jesus. And so we've talked about a lot of different things and what this could look like. Uh, but today I want to talk about one that we often forget. And some of us, this word might make us cringe, but it's this word right here, empathy. Empathy. Now, empathy is different than sympathy. I would actually probably say sympathy is a little bit easier than empathy. Sympathy has all the things uh, that make it look like you care <laughs> without actually caring. Like it's an arm's length kind of emotion, sympathy is. Uh, maybe a good way to say it is like this. Sympathy is feeling sorry for someone, whereas empathy is feeling sorry with someone. So sympathy it sounds kind of like the ring of a text message. You know, you ever gotten a text message when you're going through something and it's like, hey, sorry about what you're going through, but like that's all you hear from them is that. That's sympathy. Empathy sounds like the ring of a doorbell where someone shows up at your house. They show you that they love you. They show you that they care. Sympathy would say, I'm sorry. Empathy would say, I'm here. Uh, maybe the best way to illustrate it this morning is with a couple of videos. And so uh, the first one, we, we got to go to this conference. You got to see uh, some, one of the students that got to go uh, to this conference called CIY. And we got to go with a bunch of students, and it was a blast. It was a really good time. Um, but I'll let you in on a little secret. Some people ask me, you know, why do you go on those trips? Like it's an administrative nightmare. It costs a lot of money. Why, why go on these trips? And so it's, it's two reasons. One, it helps us build our relationships with each other as students. Um, but then the other is it helps us build our relationship with Jesus. So you could sum it up in relationships. And so that's kind of the filter, how I see things through when I'm at camp. That's how I make decisions. So there was one day at camp we had a decision to make. And we could either go to a class uh, where we sat and somebody talked at us about worship, or we could go to the pool and hang out. And so the guys were debating about what we should do. And so they asked me, Josiah, which one should we do? And I asked them the question, you know, which one's going to help you build a relationship with each other or, or with Jesus more? So they told me the pool. And so we went to the pool, but I said, hey, here's the deal. There's a little caveat on this. If we go to the pool, uh, we have to do something. And, and parents, don't judge me for this. Like your kids, they were safe the whole time. Um, but I say we have to have a belly flop contest because there are a few things in this life that'll get you closer to Jesus and closer to each other than a belly flop contest. So I just want to show you one of our best. And this is Ryan, okay? And I love his form. There's a lot of prayers, a lot of prayers going up right now. Make sure he doesn't die. And then there's a moment where he hits. Yep, it's good, right? And that feeling that, oh, that feeling, that's sympathy, okay? You feel sorry for him. Like nobody's 
running up after him. Like nobody on the side of the pool is jumping in after him. And that's kind of what sympathy feels like. Like you clap, you say you're sorry, whatever, that stinks. But then you kind of just move on to the next thing. And that's how, how it feels when, when people sympathize with you. Like they feel, you feel like you have their attention for a moment, but then they're on to the next thing. Uh, but empathy, empathy is a little bit different. You're not just feeling sorry for someone, you're feeling sorry with someone. And so I found this other video, and I love this video. It's got one of my favorite movies in it. It's The Lion King. So if you haven't seen The Lion King, uh, I'm sorry about your childhood, um, but I'm going to spoil it for a second. Uh, Mufasa, the dad of Simba, he dies, right? And I found this video of this dog watching this scene, and I think it, I think it does pretty well. So there's no doubt, like that dog feels exactly what Simba is feeling. Like that's empathy right there. The dog is feeling sorry with Simba, not for Simba. And I've probably felt the same way whenever I watched that for the first time. But, but empathy, it requires a lot of, from us. And if, if we're being honest with ourselves, it's something that we're not very good at. Um, and I see a lot of wives hitting their husbands, like pay attention, uh, because empathy, we're bad at it. But it's something that needs work on in our lives, and it's part of the gospel that we're called to live out, mainly because Jesus did it. And so I just want to show you one story today, just one story, uh, where we see this happen. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn uh, to John 11, verse 5. Uh, John 11, verse 5. And while you're doing that, I'll go ahead and set up the story for you. So Jesus, the Son of God, he's got some friends, and their names are Lazarus, and then Lazarus has two sisters. You've probably heard of them. Uh, They appear quite often in the Gospels, and their names are Mary and Martha. So you have Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, and these are like some of Jesus' closest friends. They're, They're really good friends with Jesus. These are the people he like cuts it up around the dinner table with. He took them to their 4th of July celebration. Like they, they know each other. Uh, they're friends, right? And Lazarus, Lazarus gets sick. And so Mary and Martha, they're like, hey, Jesus, we know what you're capable of. And so they want to send a messenger to Jesus to let them know that his friend Lazarus is sick. And so they send the messenger and the messenger arrives, tells Uh, about Lazarus. And Lazarus doesn't have like the cold or like the flu, like he's dying. Uh, He's on his deathbed. He's going to die at any moment now. And so the messenger delivers the message. And that's kind of where we pick up today, starting in verse five. And so it says this, so although Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going uh, there again? And so Jesus, he wants to go to Bethany. He wants to empathize with this family. He wants to take care of this family that he loves, these people that he cares about. But the disciples, they're, they're not as for it. Like they're a little skeptical. They're a little cautious. And I can appreciate them because like they're just looking out for Jesus. They're like, Jesus, we were there a couple days ago. I don't know if you remember this, but like they, they tried to kill you. And I'm pretty sure they didn't forget about all of that. And so they're just looking out for Jesus. They see the things that could go wrong. They see the potential danger. They see what I would call the cost. Because oftentimes, 
comforting others comes at a cost, doesn't it? Comforting others, it, it oftentimes comes at a cost. Extending hope when life hurts, it's one of the things we do here at Trace. It generally comes at a cost. Like at a minimum, it'll cost you your time. Maybe a little bit of your freedom. You don't get to do what you want to do. You won't get to take that Sunday afternoon nap, which is, you know, super holy. Um, it may make you tired. It may cost you a meal if you're making a meal for someone. And it might even cost you some money, right? And the disciples, they recognize this. They're like, Jesus, we can go do this, but th there might be a cost involved. And Jesus, it might cost you your life if we go. But I love Jesus' response. This is what happens. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake, it, wake him up. And like the disciples, they don't get it. The disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he'll get, he'll get better. Uh, they thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping. But Jesus meant Lazarus had died. And so he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you will really believe. Come, let's go and see them. So like I said, Lazarus, he, he, or the disciples, they just don't get it. And like, I don't know this for sure. Like the text doesn't say this. I'm making an assumption here. Um, but I'm pretty sure it was Peter <laughs> who was like, you know, he's just sleeping. Someone else will wake him up. They'll take care of it. Because Peter is often the one that puts his foot in his mouth. They just don't get it. And I think a little bit, they're trying to get out of it. And so they say things like, we don't need to go. Someone else will, will figure it out, right? Or, you know, this might be a little weird for us, Jesus. Like, this might be a little awkward for us. There may be some silence that we don't know, really know what to do with. Or, or God, this is outside of my comfort zone. You know, my, my personality type, my spiritual gift test doesn't really line up with mercy. And my Enneagram number, it's like, it's not there. So I don't know if this is where we should be. Or they say things like, you know, we don't know him very well, Jesus. Maybe you could go and, you know, just get back to us. Like that, that would be a good situation. Or how about this one? We've never said this one before, right? Someone else will take care of it. You ever said that before? See, see the disciples don't get it, but like I, I can relate to them. You know, I've said those things. I've used those excuses. I've traded uh, comforting others for my own comfort. I can relate to them. But what I love about Jesus' response is he sees the cost. He sees the inconvenience. He sees the things that could go wrong. But Jesus goes anyway. Like, he goes anyway. Trace, what if we were the type of church? What if we were the type of people that we just went anyway? Like, knowing it was four in the morning. Or, like, knowing that it's probably going to cost us, like, $40 to make that family a meal when they, so they don't have to worry about food. Or, or knowing the game starts in, like, 30 minutes and there's no way we're getting back in time, or knowing we probably will not have the right thing to say, or knowing that it's going to be weird. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be outside our comfort zone. We're going to have to, uh, you know, live a little bit outside of our comfort zone. What if we knew these things, knew the cost, knew the inconvenience on our lives, but just like Jesus, we, we went anyway. You know, like we knew the cost and we knew the inconvenience, but we went anyway to celebrate the adoptions that are happening in our community. Or we went anyway to go and help a family that just lost everything. Or we went anyway to stay up and talk to teens late at night about the biggest things that are going on in their lives, even if they seem insignificant to you. Or what if we went anyway uh, to things like an unexpected death or a devastating accident? Like this is the vision behind our, our tragedy response team that we have 
here at Trace. What if we were a church? Seriously, what if we were the type of people that we knew the risk, we knew the cost, we knew the inconvenience on our own lives, but we went anyway? Like imagine who we could reach. Imagine the impact that we could have on this community. But you guys know just as well as I do, like going anyway, just like Jesus, that doesn't always fix the problem. Because like Jesus, he's going to go to Bethany and he's going to take care of this family and he's going to love on them. But the truth of the matter is that Lazarus is still dead. Because just going anyway doesn't always fix the problem. But even before Jesus can get to their house to take care of them, Martha, she's going to run out of the house. She's going to be mad. A cheek still damp with tears, face flushed with anger, and she's going to look at Jesus and she's going to say this, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Like, I know she's mad. You ever thought thoughts like that before? You ever said things like that before? Like, Jesus, if only you'd been here. Not here at church, right? Because, like, we, we have our stuff together. Uh, our, our prayers, they always get answered. Our relationship with God, like, we're good. Like, we, we don't question God. We don't doubt God. Because if we did that, that would be a lack of faith on our part, right? <laughs> and I laugh a little bit because that's just not true. <laughs> Like, welcome to Trace. We, we've said this before, but this is a place where you can stop pretending, and this is one of those moments. Of course we say things like this. Of course we have moments just like Martha did, where we run to Jesus and we say, God, if, if, only, if only you had been there. If only you'd been there. You have times like that in your life? Like, maybe for you, it's, your car broke down on the freeway, and you were stranded for like six hours, and nobody stopped, and you're like, God, if only you'd been there. You could have stopped that. Or maybe for you, you entered into a toxic relationship and there was a lot of hurt and a, and a lot of damage that was done in that relationship. And you look at God and you're like, God, if only you'd been there, you could have stopped that. Or you got laid off from work and you were looking for leads for like six months and it was frustrating and you prayed to God and all you got was silence. You're like, God, if only, if only you'd been there for me. Or maybe when your house burned down or there was some accident or something that happened and you lost everything. And you looked at God and you said, God, if only you'd been there, you could have protected us from that. Or when your sister was diagnosed with cancer, you're like, God, where were you? Or you were at the cemetery and you had to bury your father. You're like, God, where were you? Or in the middle of your depression and your anxiety, and it was just so strong, so crippling that like you couldn't even move. And you're asking God, if only you'd been there. Or oh, those dark nights where you just felt so alone. And you contemplated ending it all and you said, God, if only you'd been there for me. Or night after night as a kid, when your father just got so angry and he took it out on you and your siblings. And you said, God, if only you'd been there. You could have protected us from that. I don't know what the scenario is in your life, but there are moments in our lives where we say this phrase, God, if only you'd been there for me, things would have been different. But because he wasn't, we come to a conclusion that either God's not there or he just simply does not care. Because if God would have been there, just like Martha, things would have been different, right? And I think if you were to say that to God today, his response would be very similar to what he told Mary and Martha. And guys, this is a paraphrased version, but I think this is what he says. 
He says, trust me. Just trust me. Like, like Mary, do you know who I am? Like Martha, do you know what I'm capable of? Just, just trust me. And I know for some of you in this room, like that is the most unsatisfactory truth you could hear this morning. Because like trust does little for the pain. Trust doesn't do much for the hurt in your life. Trust can't heal scars. Trust does little for the sleepless nights and the emotional baggage that we carry around on a day-to-day basis. But this is what I do know about trust. Trust is the backbone of hope. And without hope, everything else we do is meaningless. But you can't have hope without trust. And I think that's what Jesus is saying to Mary and Martha in this moment. Like, Martha, just trust me that I can make things right again. Or Mary, trust me that that which you hope for, that which you hope for, will someday be true. But you got to trust me. But then it goes on like this in the story. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him, he asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. This is my favorite part. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said this. See how much he loved them. So I have a question for you guys this morning. It has a little bit to do with biblical knowledge. So I want to preface it with this. So we have the big numbers in the Bible. Uh, Those are called chapters. So if you're looking at a Bible, you'll see a big number 11. That's a chapter. And then we have the little numbers in the Bible. Those are called verses. Um, And so we're going to look at verse 35 here in a second. Um, But those numbers, as well as even the orders of the books of the Bible, like those weren't originally there. Uh, Okay, I hope I didn't rock anybody's world with that. But those numbers, like nobody was writing those numbers out whenever they wrote the Bible. Uh, those numbers are what we would call not inspired by God. Uh, You can look at different translations and different versions of the Bible, and you'll see different numbers uh, because those weren't originally there. And so my question for you is verse 35. Then Jesus wept. Like this is the shortest verse in the Bible. There's a couple that have a few less words in the Hebrew, but this is the shortest verse in the Bible. So if you're looking to memorize something to say, hey, I memorized the Bible, like this is a good place to start. Then Jesus wept. Like you got it. Okay, three words. You can do that. Um, the shortest verse in the Bible. So my question to you is, if this verse is so short, why not put it with verse 34 or verse 36? Why give it its own verse? And, and like, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but there are three times in the Bible where Jesus cries. This is one of them. But none of the other times get their own verse. This is the only one. So my question is, why? Why would they not include this with the other verses? And I think there's an answer. And like I said, maybe I'm reading too much into this. But I think the answer is this. It shows Jesus' humanity. It shows the fact that Jesus had empathy for someone else. Because a lot of times when we think of Jesus, we think of him as some like alien superhero. Someone whose like experience in life is so far distant, so far different than what we've experienced in life. And that like this guy, he, he wouldn't show weakness. But then Jesus wept. Then Jesus cried. Like Jesus didn't just show uh, emotion, feel sorry for someone. He, he felt sorry with someone. He showed empathy. And Jesus cried. Jesus grieved. He showed emotion. He chose not to distance himself, not to be arm's length away from someone else. And I think that's why they put this verse by itself. Because Jesus, he, he showed empathy. Can I be transparent with you guys for a moment? Like, is that okay? I'm going to do it anyway. Um, but... This, this is good for me. I'm really, really, really bad 
like really bad when it comes to empathy. Like my wife is somewhere saying amen because like I'm terrible at it. I, I don't get it. And she kind of laughed at me when I told her this is what I wanted to preach about because I need to hear this message probably, than, probably more than most of the people here today. Uh, you see, I grew up in a family with all boys. Uh, we had four boys and then my mom and dad, and we didn't show a lot of emotion. Uh, that wasn't something that we did. Uh, we still had emotions. We just didn't really talk about them. And so growing up, um, I didn't really know how to deal with those. You know, we wrestled, we teased each other. An emotion we probably showed was anger. We got angry a lot. Um, but I didn't really know how to process the emotions that I did have. And so I kind of acted as if I didn't have any, you know, and uh, my emotions, they were foreign to me, but like other people's emotions, not even on the map, like didn't exist. And so I would run over people with my words and I would call that leadership or I would go to funerals and I would sit in them and I wouldn't feel a single thing or like I would go and I would try to console people and take care of people that were hurting and I would try to console them with like facts and like action steps and strategies when all they really wanted was for me to feel as they did. Like I struggled to celebrate people and my emotional intelligence was that of like a brick wall. Like it wasn't very high. And to be honest with you guys, like it took me several months, not several weeks, several months of professional counseling to even begin to understand how, how to process the emotions that I had so that I could try to be empathetic with other people. But even that being said, it's still really, really hard for me uh, to empathize with other people. And honestly, I think it comes down to this. It's a lot easier for me to minimize than it is to empathize. Like it's a whole lot easier for me to minimize uh, the problems that people are going through or my wife's emotions or the things that people are struggling with. Because, you know, there, there are other things out there, but that's exactly what we see Jesus doing. We see him genuinely trying to empathize with people, not minimizing their problems. Why? Not for show, not to somehow fake it, not to get sympathy in return. Why? Because he loved them. Like he genuinely cared about them. And he loves you. And he cares about the things that are going on in your life. I love this verse in Psalm 58 or 56. He says, you, ca you keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. I love that imagery. Like the all-powerful cosmic God of the universe. He keeps track of your tears. He cares about the things that you're going through. He cares about your breakups. He cares about your heartaches. He cares about the loneliness and the loss that you have experienced in your life. Because we serve a God that does not minimize your problems, but actually he sent his son to empathize with them. But what I love about Jesus is he doesn't leave you in them. He doesn't say, oh, sorry for you. Like that's, that's really hard. And then just move on. No, Jesus, he does something about it. And he does the same thing with Mary and Martha. So this is what happens. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the, de the dead man's sister protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. And Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to the heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. 
his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a head cloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him, let him go. Did you see it? Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. Like we don't serve a teddy bear God that you can run to and pick up and cuddle with and he'll make you feel all better, but at the end of the day is ultimately powerless to do anything about your life. No, we serve a God that raised a man from the dead. Lazarus, come out, and the dead man, he came out. We serve a God that can bring light to the darkest tombs of our lives. We serve a God that can not only uh, sustain us in our problems, but he actually has the power to overcome our problems. I'll put it this way. Jesus brings life to the places that we see death. Jesus brings life to the places that we see death. So I'll ask you this morning, where in your life do you see death? Where do you see death? For some of you, maybe it's your friendships. Like you just have some really toxic friends. They're not really good for you. They pull you away from Jesus. They're discouraging. They're sarcastic. They never encourage you. And that relationship, that area of your life, it seems dead. Or maybe for some of you, you just struggle to make friends. And so that area of your life, it doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. You have a hard time reaching out to people. Your friendships, they seem dead. Or maybe for you, it's your job. Like you're dreading going to work tomorrow. (laughs) You're not excited about it because your coworkers, your boss, someone at work, they, they don't appreciate you. They don't encourage you. They don't lift you up. All they do is critique what you do. In your job, it's not fulfilling. It's not stepping into the purpose that you've been called to. And you hate your job. And your job seems dead. It seems stagnant. It seems numb. It feels like it's not going anywhere. Or maybe for you, it's your marriage. Like you try and you try and you try, but he just doesn't get you. Or you think about what it was like to be married for the first couple of weeks. You fought a whole lot less. You thought you you think you're better at uh, conflict resolution than you actually are. Things are just going well. You love each other really well. Then as time goes on, you guys seem to drift apart from each other. And there's pain that exists there. There's hurt that hasn't been dealt with. You look at your marriage and it seems a little stagnant. It seems like it's not really moving anywhere. You look at your marriage and you see see death. Or maybe for some of you, it's your relationship with God. Or really your lack of relationship with God. Like you guys don't know the last time you stepped in the church. You don't know the last time that you genuinely felt God move or, or saw him work in your life. You don't know the last time that you prayed and you actually believed that God was listening to you. And your relationship with God, it seems dead. Like it's not going anywhere. I don't know what it is for you. But we're all staring into a tomb and we can see some area of our life. And like for some of us, we've done what Jesus asked Mary and Martha to do. We've trusted him, right? And there's been times in our lives where that has like paid off. And it's been good. And we're glad that we trusted Jesus with certain things. But then there's been other times We've put all our hope in Jesus. And, you know, we've prayed our hearts out to him. We've stayed up late uh, thanking him for the things that he's done. And we've asked him about a specific problem, a specific time in our life, and he didn't really deliver in the way that we hoped. Like, we didn't get that promotion. We didn't work out our marriage. We didn't get the friends that we thought we had or that we thought we wanted. God didn't take away that addiction or that depression in our lives. And it's in these moments that we look at God and we assume that we can no longer trust God. 
I don't know who needs to hear this this morning. For some of you, this may be a difficult truth to believe. If you haven't heard anything else I've said, I need you to hear this. God, he loves you. God, he, he cares deeply about you. He's not a distant God. He doesn't hold you at arm's length. God chose not to just feel sorry for you, but he actually chose to feel sorry with you and among you, and he sent his son. He left the comfort of heaven to come and comfort you, to live and walk in this world because he loves you. Maybe I'd say it like this. Jesus did not come to take your problems away. He came to take your problems on to take the pain, the sin, the shame that you feel, the things that are big in your life, to put them on his back and walk to a cross and die the death that you and I deserved. Not because he had to, but because he chose to. And once again, not, you know, he died on a cross so that someday all this death that we see, whether it's the death in our friendships, the death in our family, the death in our job, the death and the things that we're struggling with, he died on a cross so that someday all that death would go away. Because just as everybody saw Jesus die up on a cross, three days later they would see an empty tomb. He would walk out of the grave, a place of death brought to life because of a man named Jesus. Because Jesus brings life to the places that we see death. And someday every, every area of our life, that we see death, that we see stagnation, where, where there's something in our life that just isn't going anywhere. All of that's going to be done away with. And that's the hope that I cling to. That's the hope that we cling to, a world without death because of the life that Jesus will bring. But we said it this morning. Can't have hope without uh, trust. Can't have hope without trust. So where is it that you see death in your life? Is it your friendships? Is it your family? Is it your job? Is it your parenting skills? Is it your marriage? Where is it that you see death in your life? Jesus has the power to bring life to those things. And if you were standing here today, once again, I think he'd say something very similar to what he told Mary and Martha, and it's this. You gotta trust me. Trust me with those things. Trust me with your family. Trust me with your finances. Trust me with your job. Trust me. Your problems, they may not be taken away. You know, life is still going to be hard. But at least you have somebody to go through it with. Are you going to trust Jesus with those things? Because we have a friend that doesn't just feel sorry for us, but he actually chose to enter into the pain with us. We have a God that can empathize with us. My question to you this morning is, are you going to trust him? Are you going to trust him? So we're going to enter into a time uh, where we're going to ask you guys to respond. And this is going to look different for all of you. Uh, for some of you, there's an area in your life that you haven't trusted God with. Whether it's your finances, your marriage, your family, your friends, I don't know. But you just need to sit in your seat and you need to have a conversation with God. And you need to say, look, I'm sorry that I have not trusted you with this. But I want to take that step and God, you can have my family, you can have my finances, you can have my job, you can have my friendships. And you need to have a conversation with God about what it would look like for you to trust him. Uh, for others of you, you know, there's some big things going on in your life. You know, there's some things that you don't really know how to deal with. And you need to hand those over to God as well. And trust that he can empathize with those things, that he can enter into the pain with you. And so we have some prayer stations in the back of the room. 
and you can go back there and you can write a prayer on a card. And guys, we as a staff, we pray over those every Monday. It's one of my favorite times of the week because it helps us see what you're trying to trust God with. And then we can empathize with you. We can enter into that with you um, as a staff. So maybe for some of you, you need to go back uh, to the prayer stations and write a prayer on a card. For others of you, you do know Jesus and you love Jesus and you trust Jesus with most of your life. And some of you just need to be reminded why. So all around this room, we have uh, some tables and there's a cracker and there's some juice. And all that is, is a reminder of the fact that Jesus went to the cross and he took on uh, your problems for you. He took your place on the cross so that he could empathize with you um, because he is a God that cares about you. So some of you need to go to these tables and come back and just pray, God, thank you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for the things that I can trust you with. For others of you, you don't know Jesus. Uh, you've never made the step to put your trust, your faith in Jesus. And I know for some of you, you're tired of doing it alone. And if you want to have a conversation about what it could look like uh, to put your trust, put your faith in a God that will empathize with you, um, I'm going to be right over there, and I'd love to have a conversation with you. However you need to respond, I ask that you do. And I'm going to pray, and then we'll go ahead and respond. Dear God, thank you for this day. God, thank you for being a God who cares. Thank you for being a God that keeps track of all of our tears, who keeps track of all of our suffering and our pain. God, thank you that we're not alone. God, I don't know how you need these people to respond, but I pray they do. Um, God, I pray they take this to heart, that we want to be people uh, that go anyway, that we want to be able to empathize with the people around us and enter into pain with them. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his death on the cross. And thank you for the fact that he, he even brought life to himself uh, in a place where we saw death. God, we love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.